Welcome to episode 3, season 11 of The Versatile Writer, providing support and encouragement to writers and creatives. If you listen to season 10, you'll know I'm continuing with the alphabet. I'm taking each letter of the alphabet and using it as a prompt related to the writing world and to writing generally. You can subscribe to this podcast for free and have it automatically arrive when it's published. Please tell your friends and family because you never know, it might speak to them too. So let's just jump in with this one because we've got a lot to get through. In this episode, I'm covering structure, starting afresh, saggy middle syndrome, satisfying climax, ooh, uh, misses, superhero, senses, self-doubt, self-confidence, self-publishing, self-care, support and subconscious. Let's start with S for structure. Structure is the way your story is organised, like which bits fit where. Sometimes we write the story and it's not until later that you see part of it ought to be in a different place. This is what structure editing does. It ensures that every part of the story is where it ought to be for maximum effect. The basic structure of a story is usually in three parts, the beginning, the middle and the end. And for most stories that's true. But what if your one has to start at the end to make it work? Let's liken it to a TV show, for example. You sometimes see shows where it opens up and the main character looks dead and you're thinking, hold on, they can't kill them off, the show's all about them. And you watch only to discover that they were knocked unconscious and the previous 24 hours showed how they got into that situation. And then the next 45 minutes shows how they got out of it and got revenge on the people who made it happen. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. If your story holds that kind of plot, this structure could ensure it has an exciting and tense read. There are plenty of varying structures for our stories to grab a hold of, and sometimes it's worth investing a bit of time to discover the right way to present it to your audience. Another example is my last novel, Dream State. Spoiler alert, there are two separate relationships going on in this story, and only one is real. The other is inside the head of the main character, Lila, who is in a coma. Lila is the main conduit between the two worlds, if you like. To structure this story in a way that would hold the attention of readers, I had to end each chapter on a cliffhanger with the goings-on of each couple. I then interleaved those chapters with each other all the way through the novel until each one came to its natural conclusion, and boy was that a challenge to create, but it worked. Fortunately, I decided to use Dabble software to create each story separately and then entwine them later, thus creating a this couple and that couple structure. And since they stood separately as individual stories, I needed to keep them linked too, other than through Lila, so I echoed different things within each one like dialogue or character behaviour and situations. So as you can see, structure makes a massive difference to how a story is presented. Non-fiction will require its own structure too, largely depending on the topic. S is for starting afresh. I know from my own experiences that starting afresh is a much needed part of my writing life. Starting afresh could mean anything from leaving the story to go and make a drink, then come back to it after you've drunk it, or it could be that you've left it on a Friday and gone back to it on a Monday, or that you started writing 10 years ago and decided to rethink things on the way before going back for a rewrite. It might also mean closure needed to happen before you could start something new, allowing your brain to reset. 
Usually though, starting afresh means a length of time has to happen between now and allowing things to settle. Don't look down on the idea of closure and reset though. Our imaginations need time to rest. S is for saggy middle syndrome. Oh yes, I've reached that time of life when a saggy middle requires a trip to the gym. But joking aside, it's, it's the middle of your story that I'm looking at here. Sometimes it's necessary for your story to take a trip to the literary gym. We can get involved with how we'll start the story and where it's going, but the middle part can make the whole thing fall apart. Have you ever read a book and thought, I don't know, they've lost the plot here. It's just meaningless words to join the start and finish. If you find yourself getting bored with the story after the start and you're chasing towards the end, it's going to notice to the reader. And let's face it, if the author is bored, why should the reader invest any time or commitment to it? The reason the reader will notice will be through your word choice and the pacing. Perhaps you're opening up lots and lots of threads just to get towards the end, but those threads aren't really relevant to the story. Putting the same effort into the middle as we do into the start and finish can prove tough though, because writing a book is not an easy task in the first place. They don't just fall out of the sky into our laps, they take effort and lots of it for a long time. I can share a couple of tips with you about how to keep that middle from sagging. My first tip is to keep track of the plot and structure, so moving from the start to the end of your novel is going to be straightforward and fresh in your mind. Keeping notes might help too, perhaps even sketches or photos. My second tip is to remember why you're writing this novel in the first place. That excitement you first felt is a great motivator. So grab hold of those feelings again and keep them going throughout the middle. My next S is a satisfying climax. Ooh, uh, misses indeed. But to be honest, I'm not talking about your sex life. This is about taking the reader through a brilliant story and rewarding their time with a satisfying ending. One so satisfying that they'll be waiting for the next book to come out. So you better get writing. Last year, I bought a romance book from the big river and took it on a short break away. My plan was to read it at night just before sleep. I won't be unfair and name the book or the author, but rest assured it was not my favourite read of the year. There were a few red flags throughout, throughout, but an incredibly unsatisfying ending that was so awful. <laughs> I was so disgusted with it and I've never done this before, but I did throw the book away. I was mostly angry by the way the author seemed to rush to get the book finished, hadn't take any care over the ending, and maybe forgot to care about the characters too. It was an entirely unconvincing conclusion, and I'm fully aware that this is subjective, but this reader here, me, felt very strongly about it. There, I said it. Please, if you're going to write a book and you're going to sell it, ensure you have a team of beta readers to check it out before it goes to print. I feel if someone had pointed out just a few of the red flags, then this author might have had an opportunity to fix the ending and make it a satisfying beyond belief read. S is for superhero. Writers and creatives might be considered superheroes for being that person who creates new worlds in which readers escape and explore, who create believable characters and write exquisite prose and so on. Superhero, powerful beings, wondrous creatures, I would also like to plant that title firmly in the reader's lap, for they are uniquely powerful beings with the ability to give you a brilliant review. And they're also the same powerful beings who could be the villain and give you a poor review. Perhaps it's deserved. 
but perhaps it isn't. And they have the power to remind us to do our jobs really, really well. They are, after all, part of the circle that keeps us employed. If we publish, we write for them. They really ought to be the entity we keep firmly in our minds as we lovingly and painstakingly write every word of our novels. Readers of the world, we love you and thank you for enabling us to fulfil our dreams. S is for senses. Whichever genre you choose to write, at some point the senses are going to have to be employed. Even in some non-fiction, you will need to bring in taste and smell and sight and touch and hearing. And in some cases, perhaps even the sixth sense, the one that makes your hairs on the back of your neck stand up. Imagine what it smells like to walk through, to walk through freshly cut wet grass, then noticing it stuck to your bare feet at the same time as breathing in that perfume. The imagery alone is worth it. Watching and hearing the waves crashing on the beach and smelling the salt in the water, remember how important our senses are. Remember I just said that the reader is the one with all the power? Well, if we give them such an experience they can't stop thinking about the story, imagine how they will tell everyone they know about the books they love. Word of mouth is an extremely powerful marketing tool, but it can only happen if the reader really wants to say it. Make them do more than want to say it. Make them want to shout it from the rooftops. S is for self-doubt. Yep, many of us suffer from this. It's a chain around our necks and sometimes it chains us to our beds too. Also known as imposter syndrome, self-doubt is the brain's way of protecting you from being hurt. But what if you were actually preventing your work being seen and being loved by others? What if you were stopping yourself soaring through the sky, sharing your love of poetry or adventure stories? Doubting we're any good is, frankly, such a waste of our creativity. Chances are... You are brilliant at writing. The mere fact that you're dreaming of writing means you've got some kind of creativity that the world should experience. And sure, it's all subjective. Some people might not like it, but let's focus on those who will. Allowing self-doubt to take you over means you're preventing readers having an excellent experience at your own hands. Don't give in to self-doubt. Thump it right down and make sure it stays there long enough for it to get bored and go find something else to do. S is for self-confidence. I totally get it. I do. Self-confidence is just as tricky as self-doubt. But I stand by what I've said. If you read the second edition of I've Got a Pen and I'm Not Afraid to Use It, you'll appreciate how I allowed myself to stay down for years rather than grabbing writing by the reins and galloping off into the world. My throat is starting to give out. I do apologise. Once I'd realised that, that I could put my insecurities to one side and pretend they weren't there, even for a few minutes, I was able to gain a little more confidence and get my work out there. I'll soon have published my 14th book, and yes, I absolutely do still have my days, but in between those, I have as much right to share my stories as any other writer, and so do you. S is for self-publishing. This is a topic I could speak about for hours. And today's episode is not the place. I've written extensively about it in several of my books, so you could look out for them. I've got a pen and I'm not afraid to use it, it's just one. What I will say though, is since this revolution of self-publishing took hold, approximately a decade or two ago, things have altered drastically in the publishing world. When self-publishing first took hold, I was approaching my 40th birthday, and that was over 16 years ago. 
It wasn't viewed in a particularly nice way and many of us were looked down upon. Since then, however, things have improved considerably and thank goodness for that. Self-publishing means authors have the chance to take their own careers in their hands and run with it. There are upsides and downsides to it, just like there is in every other job. And I've experienced a lot of them too. But you learn from it all and you come out the other side with a smile, hopefully. S is for self-care. First of all, please never balk at the idea of taking care of yourself. Last year, I received an unexpected medical diagnosis that I had to take seriously. From the two tablets I took every day, it was now going to be five. I never thought I'd be that person who had to take tablets every day, but there you have it. I also upped my exercise from three days a week of walking on the treadmill and swimming to now doing five days a week. Since November, when I got the news, and it's now February, I've lost over half a stone, so it's totally worth it. Although receiving the shock like that didn't feel like it at the time, it was purely because I had to process the information. Self-care is not a dirty word, and rather than getting a diagnosis like mine, why not take more care of yourself in the first place so you don't have to? But self-care need not be about working out or eating properly. And when I say eating properly, I don't necessarily mean eating junk food, but forgetting to eat at all. Self-care might take the shape of meditation, spending time with your family, not spending time with your family, having some me time or a day at a spa. Whatever it looks like for you, please take the time to do it because you'll feel better for it. S is for support. It's true we all need support at various times of our lives. It could be with work or family life or leisure time, but maybe you need support while learning a new hobby. It might be that that support looks more like a friendship group to you than someone helping you learn something. Support is required in so many aspects of our life and career, so my suggestion would be that that person who supports you wherever and whenever is needed. And with any luck, when you need it, it'll be right there ready for you too. As a slight aside, and with my unashamedly promotional pants on, supporting new writers and indeed experienced ones who need a little help has been the most rewarding aspects of my business. So if you require a writing coach through one of my programmes, or in a group setting, then please check out my site, loveofbooks.co.uk, which will give you prices, what's included, T's and C's, and a lot more. That's loveofbooks.co.uk. S is for subconscious. This is the final entry for episode three. When it comes to writing and creating, I've heavily relied upon my subconscious for decades now. Back when I was a teenager in the 80s, my interest in dreams became a thing and I learned that our dream life, dream life and our subconscious is quite entwined. Whatever we experience, see, feel, etc. each day and indeed through our lives, we often glimpse it through our dream life too. For those of you who don't feel you dream or remember them, allow me a little indulgence please. My dreams are often so vivid I usually remember them upon waking and I've not only used dreams as plot devices in my novels, but I've also based story ideas on dreams. But that's dreams and how your subconscious helps form them. Let's look at how the subconscious itself manages to find a role to play within creative writing. From my experience, I've relied on my subconscious to highlight areas of storytelling that my conscious mind didn't pick up on. It can be tiny things really, small details that some readers might overlook, like the colour of a character's eyes. 
Maybe they began as brown and then later in the novel they're mentioned as green. It's possible nobody would notice that was written, but there will be readers who will notice details like that. And to be honest, I'm one of those readers. I tend to feel there are more like me too. If I'd made an error like that, my subconscious is likely to pick it up. That is, my conscious mind seems to let the subconscious do that, as if it's one of its duties. I do tend to view my conscious mind and my subconscious mind as two separate entities that both show up at work and carry out their duties at the same office, my head. My conscious mind is focusing on the work at hand and the subconscious is the personal assistant of sorts. The PA who runs around the background picking up the dry cleaning or making the coffee and ensuring everything is going to plan while the boss, the conscious mind, stands at the front and gets all the credit. Just so you know though, I do send the subconscious mind a hamper at Christmas. It's not always that brilliant and definitely not always the employee of the month either because if there's just one thing to focus on and the subconscious gets itchy feet because they're seemingly not doing much, they may just start to distract my conscious mind from its own duties. It's at that point that my attention begins to waver and I need to play music to keep both occupied. Providing each one keeps to its own job and supports the other, everything works well. Essentially, there are just two things that enable both to keep in tip-top condition, sleep and food. That's back to self-care again. Once they're both rested and fed, they'll work exceptionally well. And if that hasn't reminded you what an eccentric soul I am, I doubt anything will. With that interesting and somewhat unexpected metaphor ending this week's episode, all that's left for me to do is thank you for listening to episode 3S of The Versatile Writer.